Case number 22-5262. L'Association des Américains Accidentels, et al., a balance, versus United States Department of State, et al. Mr. Schreiber for the A-Balance, Ms. Stapleton for the FLEs. Good morning, Mr. Schreiber. Hey, good morning, Your Honor, and may it please the court. My name is Noam Schreiber, and uh, together with Mark Zell, I represent the plaintiffs. Thank you for allowing me to participate in today's uh, argument uh, remotely. I would like to reserve three minutes for rebuttal. Your Honors, before I discuss plaintiff's Fifth Amendment claim, I would like to briefly address the district court ruling that the challenge to the suspension policy was moot or is moot. This challenge is not moot because the government failed to carry its heavy burden of making it absolutely clear that it would not revert back to this policy of suspending or otherwise indefinitely delaying renunciation uh, services with the simple stroke of a pen. This was not a rulemaking process. This was a simple uh, policy that it issued um, and it could happen uh, again. And are you, during the... they could just, are you saying they could just, you said with a stroke of a pen, um, wouldn't they have to at least wait for another pandemic? Yeah. Well, there, there have to be some circumstances, Your Honor, that would... Uh, some that circumstances would, uh, beyond their control? Uh, like a pandemic? Correct. A pandemic or other global crisis. Well, right. Okay. Yes. Is there, so usually when we invoke the voluntary cessation and, and we use the stroke of the pen line, that means that return to the prior policy is actually entirely within con the control um, of the defendant here, the government. Um, and you just said that they couldn't actually return to the prior policy. Um, it's not within their control at all. It's simply if some other sort of supervening out of their control circumstance, again, whether it's uh, another pandemic or some other international crisis that none of us can foresee. Do you have, what's your best case that in circumstances like that, we still treat this as a voluntary cessation? Well, my first comment is that we, we didn't ever invoke the voluntary uh, cessation uh, exemption. What we did invoke is the is the uh, capable of repetition yet evading review. Um, but the, the, both both cases both both tests or both exemptions have similar. Uh, well, how does this evade review? You've got plenty of time. You have plenty of time. Well, it evades review by the fact that the that according to the government, the suspension is no longer in place, and therefore uh, it's deemed moot. And uh, evading review is judicial review. So uh, that that policy is is according to the government is moot. However, uh, going to the to going well, to you, the you, you waited. Am I correct? Almost two years after the pandemic, you, you filed your complaint at the end of twenty twenty one. Correct. Correct. You're correct your about that? Okay, so you, you you waited, um, you know, twenty months after the pandemic started to challenge the suspension. And so we don't normally consider things to be of such a short fuse nature that they are um, capable of repetition yet evading review when someone waits 19 months to file suit. Your Honor, the, 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 the issue is- You have good reasons. I'm not saying you didn't have good reasons. I'm just saying usually capable of repetition is really 
breakneck speed emergency litigation that still, even that, even under that case, um, couldn't be resolved by the courts. The plain, the plain, the plaintiffs did not. This was a last resort issue, and there were the plaintiffs did not. Uh, they're not uh, litigation litigators, and they don't they don't uh, jump to litigate these issues. So yes, it, it wasn't uh, immediately uh, filed during the uh, pandemic, and when the suspension went into effect, but um, uh, it also wasn't clear at that point when what was going on. I mean, plaintiffs had no idea whether uh, they would receive these appointments. Uh, uh, within a year or less, and therefore that 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 explains the the delay. But uh, courts have uh, ruled, uh, including the Supreme Court, that when there is no rulemaking and there's no requirement for heavy rulemaking, and it's rather just a policy decision by the agency, that uh, that generally suffices to uh, satisfy the uh, evading review requirement. Um, but but there would be different to... situations. There would be different circumstances, and the length of the suspension could be different. I mean, it, this is not a situation like an election or a school year where there's a, a standardized occurrence, the length of which is, you know, set in, in some kind of regular process. This is a, you know, a fluid kind of response to an unknown, uh, a, a public health crisis of unknown duration. So it, it seems like it's not an exact fit for the capable repetition but evading review doctrine, no? Uh, Your Honor, I, I, I respectfully don't, don't, don't exactly share the same view. Uh, it's, it, it, the, the problem, the issue is that this is not, the suspension, as we briefed, is, is not over. I mean, the government has claimed it is. But there is still an effective suspension in place. The the the, the back. Well, let's talk about that. That's a different policy. That's the the more decentralized policy, giving discretion to to overseas posts to decide when and how to prioritize the resumption of services. And with respect to that, um, I'm just trying to get a focus on the um, the sort of statement of the of the right the right is the right to expatriate or the the right to expatriate and get a certificate from from the government because an individual can expatriate without this interview isn't that correct thank you your honor um the individual can can expatriate without an interview um, under 1481 A1, A2, A3, and A4. A5 is quite unique, and the expatriation won't have any effect unless that interview is given. Um, as this court pointed out in Farrell versus Blinken, um, the, there, the, there's a, the interview, the oath, the in-person requirement, the actual oath, and the act of expatriation of making that oath are Connected, you can't have one without the other. I think the language in Feral is if uh, somebody expatriates in a alone in a forest, and the State Department isn't there to hear you hear it, did he or she expatriate? And uh, the answer in Feral was no. Uh, so the the suspension or a temporary suspe suspension, I'm sorry, or delay, uh, effectively prevents these U.S. citizens from ridding themselves of their U.S. citizenship, and that can be. Over a year, the record indicates that most of the most, if not all the plaintiffs, um, the average wait was was over a year to 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 expatriate. And, they, and during that time, 
they were suffering real harm, whether ideologically ideological and associational harm, or day to day uh, harm in in their in, in their in their financial transactions in their. Basic. Did you make a First Amendment claim of ideological and associational harm? We didn't. In this case, we did not invoke the First Amendment, but we, in our briefing, both here and in the district court, we to to uh, support the claim that the right to expatriate is a fundamental right. We linked the right to uh, the First Amendment as well, Your Honor. Can I ask you? Um, you use the verb what? Um, it was a long delay, and they had to past tense wait a long time. Um, you had eleven individual plaintiffs in this case, as well as the association. Can you tell me which of those eleven? Um, still has not had the opportunity to start this renunciation process, at least interviews or actually accomplishing it? Yes, Your Honor. Um, to the best of my knowledge, seven out of the 11 plaintiffs have either had an appointment since the, this litigation uh, was commenced and or received their certificate of loss of nationality. As for the association, um, Wait, we know as to the other, you said seven out of 11. So who are the other four and what's their status? Um, the other four or three, I believe. One second. You just said seven out of 11. Maybe you meant eight out of 11? Perhaps. Um, I'm referring to Christo Christopher Lazars. I'm not sure mm -hmm. of his status. Uh, Mark Lewis and Ann Mislin, to the best of my knowledge, have uh, not uh, yet had an appointment yet. Have they contacted? Well, the government said they haven't even contacted a post. I'm not that, that I do not I do not have the information on that. Okay. Your Honor. Well, they haven't contacted a post. The delay is on them. Would you be able to follow up with a letter updating us on the status of yes, Your Mr. Honor. Lazars and Meslin and Mark Lewis? Yes, Your Honor. Um, if, if I may, however, see, if I, I, I may, like to, yeah, no, just before you finish, just to be clear, I'm so sorry, that we know, so we know exactly what the status. There's there's also another one. I wasn't clear on the record, but maybe you know was Jeremiah Bornstein. But maybe you know whether um, he's already. I will. I will update the court on him as okay. well, Your Honor. All right. But as to everyone else, they've either already had an interview, you know, they're already well into the process, or have actually renunciated. Is that correct? Correct, Your Honor. Okay. Have they all renunciated, or there's just some, or some of them still? I, I think I, most most of them. I can when when I file the letter, I will give an exact detail of each one. But I, most of them have uh, received their certificate. Uh, some have only mm -hmm. had an appointment. Okay. Um, and then the other question I had um, is you you ask for the relief you seek um, in this case is an injunction, sort of a blanket injunction telling, um, uh, ordering the government, the State Department, I guess, to, to direct all of its embassies and consulates um, to work at a quote, reasonable pace in processing applications under A5 to renunciate. Is that correct? That's the relief you've asked for? Correct, Your Honor. Okay, tell me um, how such global relief would work in this context. For example, what would be a reasonable pace for the embassy in Sudan right now? Is there one reasonable pace well, or is it circumstance that, dependent? Thank you, Your Honor. I, uh, I would 
what we what we try to portray in the briefs here is that there is not only a delay, but we put that under in the background how the government treats non-immigrant visa services. In that regard, we've seen, and I think the record indicates, and it doesn't appear that the government argues otherwise, that it processes many more non-immigrant visa visa service, uh, visa applications at a much faster rate. That certainly was the case when 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 this lawsuit was filed, and that also appears to be the case as well. So when asked when if the question is how, what type of, how, how to formulate relief, uh, once the I think once the government is ordered and instructed that the right to renounce U.S. citizenship is not like any other service, routine service it provides, and especially not like non-immigrant visa services, its its priorities will naturally and necessarily change. It, it, the government now- So you, you want an, you're seeking an injunction that uniformly across the entire globe orders embassies to reorder their priorities regardless of individualized conditions in each location? We're asking that the, that 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 this that the court declare the the status of the right, and based on that status. Well, you have you have sought relief also under the APA that doesn't require anybody to declare any status of of this right. Okay, so you have sought relief on different alternative grounds here, and of course we try to avoid constitutional rulings where possible. And you have sought this injunctive relief, and I'm just trying to even understand how. This is the type of place that would be appropriate for um, uh, sort of a, a global rather than individualized or consulate by consulate or embassy by embassy form of relief, right? I mean, we're, we're, surely the same prioritization isn't going to apply for the embassy in Sudan or Ukraine, um, as it might say, Canada. And then we need to know if you actually have members who are seeking to renunciate in each of those places and, and how much delay they're encountering. You know, your, your complaint says that even before the pandemic, people had to wait, quote, months Correct. before they could get an interview. And now you say in your complaint, after the pandemic and after there's been some return to norm normalized services, for the most part, it varies from consulate to consulate and embassy to embassy, people are having to wait months. Um, so I just am really having trouble understanding what, how this is the type of case that would be appropriate for any form of global relief as opposed to individualized relief. Well, I have two, two comments. One, one, one response is that the uh, rise in renunciation services is, is, is the global trend at this point. And therefore, there is no, there is no, um, uh, the future will reasonably, what will happen in the future seems to indicate that uh, there will be, the, the backlog will just increase. And I, I, don't, is that what I is, don't. Is that what has happened in the last year? Because according to the government's brief, and, and, and I didn't see any rebuttal of this in your reply brief, the backlogs have decreased in the last year because they've come out of the pandemic for the most part and been able to catch up. Correct, Your Honor, but the the government do you has- deny, Do you deny, is that sort of a factual dispute in this case? I, I don't know if it's a factual because this is, uh, I, I, this is we're, we're bordering on speculative uh, what's going to happen in the future. 
However, if past, if the past is indica ind indicative of anything, the 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 global trend in renunciation services is on the rise. And I'd like to just point this out in the companion case, in the renunciation fee case, which we've uh, mentioned in in the in the briefs here. In that case, the government has indicated that it intends to decrease the fee, which currently stands at two thousand three hundred fifty dollars as a precondition to renounce, back to its uh, two thousand and ten. Uh, value of $450. Once that happens, uh, it is reasonable to assume that in all consulates and all U.S. missions around the globe, the uh, increase in global in uh, the in the in the demand for renunciation services will. Uh, so you want an injunction for them to go faster globally? Yes, you know every we, embassy and every consulate has to go faster and has to reprioritize because in the future. You anticipate there will be more applications and an increase in backlogs. Is that what I understand? No, Your Honor. Our 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 complaint our complaint and our is is asking for what happened uh, is based on the record before the court, uh, which. Uh, okay, so that doesn't include any of the stuff you just talked about on the. Text. No, but but if you, if you, if, if I was okay. I was more I was so on the to record address... before the court. Sorry, just so on the record before the court, I'm just back to my question where backlogs have decreased. And it is, I mean, do you dispute that, that there are country by country circumstances and maybe even regions within countries? If you're near the Tigray region in Ethiopia, that's going to be very different than being in the capital. Um, that, 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 that there are circumstances on the ground that affect timing? There are that would fall with, that would be reasonable? There are circumstances, and each state has its own. Each country has its own circumstances. But the question here is: and even regions within countries have their own circumstances. The question here is one of how to view this right. I don't think. And, no, no, and that's I, not I, how to view the right. I'm asking how to view the relief that's sought and whether really a global. Honor. Excuse me. Excuse me. Whether a global a type of global relief that the association is seeking. The individuals want their own processing, but the association wants global relief and whether that's even tenable in a situation like this. The, the relief the because that goes that goes to standing. That's why I'm asking all this now. It goes to standing. The, 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 the relief the association is asking, Your Honor, uh, stems from how uh, stems from how, how the government and I and I'm, I apologize for repeating myself, but how the government mm -hmm. is treating this right. And no, I understand it's about that's why I mentioned priorities. And I'm just again, I'm asking and, and, and I'm sorry. Okay. No, no, no. I'm sorry. It's and I'll just ask it one more time, and then I'll stop so my colleagues can ask questions. But what I want to, to pin down, what I'm trying to get here is, because you, as the association, are also here as a plaintiff, um, and you need to show that individualized relief um, isn't necessary in a case like this. That in fact, a sort of global um, cross-cutting relief, injunctive relief, is available, and. This, that feels very um, hard to demonstrate to me in this case because we can take as a given. And, and I think that's why you you said you only want everyone to go at a reasonable pace uh, in your complaint. You just want an injunction for a reasonable pace. Um, but it's I don't even know what that means. I don't know how the government would even know what that means if this is actually a unique situation implicating foreign relations and foreign conditions where, where any relief would have to be tailored at a bare minimum, office by office, 
around the world. And there's what, 200 or something, if I remember right, 200 or something or 300 or something, these embassies and consulates around the world. Wouldn't it, I mean, it would have to be tailored, right? You'd have to let it be different priorities in Sudan, um, in Ukraine, um, in Haiti, um, right now, then perhaps in other areas. You would agree to that, correct? I would I would not want to uh, 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 have the government not be able to tailor or use its discretion per embassy or per U.S. mission. But okay. the, the relief right. being sought is not against the same the page there. I'm sorry? I think we're on the same page there. Yes, but yeah, that may be true, Your Honor. But the, the, the relief being sought is against the State Department and how it treats this right. And again, and I, I apologize for repeating myself on this, but once the State Department is told that it must treat this right with the respect it deserves, it will naturally and necessarily require need to direct its embassies to reprioritize. And if, if that requires allocating more services per embassy, per U.S. mission, how how the government does that, that is their that's their homework. I, I can't I can't okay. say how they do that. That's their expertise. So but, you want an injunction reordering the priorities and operations, staffing and funding of foreign embassies and consulates. We want a declaratory judgment declaring that this right. You want an injunction too. Do you want correct. just to declare that injunction is not is not detached from the declaratory relief we're seeking. Mm -hmm. It can't be okay. seen in some vacuum. The injunction itself relates to the declaratory relief. They're one and the same, and it's okay. and one and one uh, uh, once once declared and once recognized as a fundamental right. The injunction, the nature and the scope of the injunction will uh, flow from there, Your Honor. Okay. You guys have questions? And I'm just gonna ask one follow-up question. I apologize about in your complaint where you said prior to the pandemic, wait lists would normally quote, would quote normally last months, end quote. Do you know how many months that was? Uh, not offhand, Your Honor. Um, I, can, I can use that in the letter as well if that's necessary. I guess my my only question for you is that you know the district court applied shocks the conscience county of Sacramento and I think uh, I think your briefing reflects that Luxburg is probably the the right uh, due process analysis for a situation like this. Yes, Your Honor. Thank you very much. We'll give you Thank a couple you, minutes for rebuttal. We'll hear from the government now. Pardon me, may it please the court, Anna Stapleton on behalf of the government. In the face of a global pandemic, the Department of State undertook emergency measures to slow the spread of COVID-19 by temporarily suspending non-emergent in-person services at consular posts overseas. That initial suspension is no longer in place and so no longer at issue. Instead, this case is about, as Your Honor stated, state's ability to make its own decisions about how to prioritize multiple high-stakes demands. Posts around the world are actively managing wait lists of individuals seeking to irrevocably relinquish their U.S. citizenship. Those wait lists do not implicate any right protected by the Fifth Amendment Due Process Clause, and they readily satisfy the APA's demands for reasonableness under this court's case law. The district court was therefore correct to rule in the government's favor, and we ask this court to affirm. There are these other ways to renounce citizenship, but I gather that everybody agrees that this subsection five 
is nonetheless um, needed by by people who want to to show for purposes of banking and taxation and the like that they've successfully expatriated? So if I could clarify that, Your Honor. So um, there are, of course, seven voluntary acts listed under 1481. That's the section of the INA that um, governs um, acts of to, to lose citizenship. Um, a5 is one of them. The first five are under the State Department's control. Um, A1 actually does also require an in-person appearance. This court addressed that in, in Farrell, and, and here's why. Um, A1 is, of course, um, relinquishing citizenship by, by way of naturalization to a, a, another country. Um, it's not the case that all naturalization results in loss of, of U.S. citizenship. It has to be naturalization with the intent to relinquish one's citizenship. The State Department, um, under its authority as given to it to, by, by Congress to um, regulate under this act, has, has required an in-person appearance at a consulate for that individual to confirm that their naturalization was done with the intent to relinquish citizenship. Um, so yes, there are um, multiple ways to um, give up one's uh, U.S. citizenship. Um, Congress has has provided that renunciation before a diplomatic or consular officer is one of those options, and we understand that's the option that these plaintiffs seek to exercise. Does, does number two, taking an oath or making an affirmation or other formal declaration of allegiance to a foreign state, does that also require them to come to it in person? So, I believe my understanding, Your Honor, and I was trying to um, recall conversations with our State Department colleagues, um, my understanding is that all five of the um, options that are under the State Department's control require, by means of, of State Department regulations, an appearance at a consulate to sort of confirm, um, uh, again, the voluntariness and intent to relinquish citizenship. Um, I, I would need to double check that before I was certain, Your Honor. Okay. Maybe you could let us also know. I'd be happy to. And one of them is, I mean, people could come to the United States uh, and get an appointment? Is there any backlog on that? So, option six and seven, Your Honor, um, and, and it's um, number six that's making a, a formal written renunciation in the United States. Those are, are pursuant to the control of the Attorney General rather than the State Department. Um, I'm not aware uh, whether as to whether or not there is a backlog on those options. And we don't want to encourage seven. That's true. Correct, Your Honor. <laughs> Let's not click on that road. Um, do you happen to know, have an update on the status of the individual plaintiffs? I'm glad you asked, Your Honor. So we have been actively working to get an updated status. Um, Your Honor mentioned the ongoing crisis in Sudan. So the office at State Department headquarters, the Bureau of Consular Affairs, um, that we would work with to get those updates has been all hands on deck in assisting the emergency evacuation from Sudan. Um, so we, we do expect to have an update for the court. Um, and I apologize, we were not able to get that before today's When um, there, the complaint is all about the suspension, um, given the timing that the complaint was filed. Um, but I take it you have read the complaint and as, as the case has evolved is not just challenging the initial suspension, but also the subsequent policies sort of um, returning, you know, setting, setting a framework for returning to our, our new normal. Um, is that correct? 
That's correct, Your Honor. We understand them to be challenging or sort of to be bringing two sets of challenges. And I think if you look at the complaint um, in those causes of action, it's, it's listed as suspension and then they call it effective suspension or the mm -hmm. waitlist policy. Um, so yes, at, at this stage on appeal, we are treating those as two categories of challenges. Um, of course, we think the challenges to the suspension are moot. Um, the challenges to the ongoing delays we think are are active. Okay. And do you have any sense of, because they say in their complaint, even before COVID, before all of the suspension, anything, there was wait lists were four months, uh, in their words. Um, and now it seems to be four months <laughs> in some places. Um, whether it's back to normal levels or so, we just don't know at this point. I'm not aware, Your Honor, of um, what sort of the average wait list was prior to the pandemic. Um, I think the second Benning Declaration gives a good bit of detail about the level of operations, at least as of June of 2022. Um, I could point out, for example, that uh, the consulate in Paris, or excuse me, the embassy in Paris, um, at that time had come up to providing an average of four appointments per week. And um, Mr. Benning states that prior to the pandemic, it had an average of two appointments per week. Um, uh, of course, there are also changes in demand, so I, I couldn't speak to whether the sort of current wait list is, is a longer time period than before. I'd be happy to ask the State Department if they have statistics on, on the wait prior to the pandemic. I was, can I, I put one of my colleagues <laughs> jump in? Um, you didn't challenge the association's associational standing <laughs> in this case. Um, and I'm curious about the third prong, which normally is readily met in injunctive cases, but in, in, in reading the materials in this case, at least struck me as a question, and so a standing question, whether in fact this is a situation where um, non-individualized injunctive relief, categorical relief is even a possibility, both as a factual matter and as a matter of of difference to foreign affairs. So, Your Honor, we certainly agree that um, an across-the-board injunction requiring the State Department to sort of uh, prioritize um, these applications sort of no matter what else is going on um, would not be appropriate. And so in, in that sense, um, we agree that that relief is not available. We have, of course, treated that in our briefing as an issue of the merits rather than um, as of standing. Why am I wrong to think about it that way? I'm not sure that you are, Your Honor. Out of candor, we haven't discussed it that way in our briefing. Um, I, I don't think we would um, object in any way to a decision that said uh, the association lacked standing. Well, of course, you wouldn't reason. object if you went, but um, um, I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to understand because usually that phrase means, you know, you're going to have to put individual plaintiffs on to testify about facts or something to get relief or damages relief or something like that. Um, and this is a bit, this is a bit of a uh, different, <laughs> different, different problem where, um, you know, you really would kind of, you know, would it even be appropriate to issue an injunction um, for embassies for which there are no members seeking renunciation? Would it even, is it appropriate? In the, and if each one has to be individually tailored based on whether there's a member and then the ground conditions within that region, uh, country or maybe portion of country, um, uh, then it, it feels to me 
not like the normal APA injunctive relief, the normal associational standing relief, but it's 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 different than we normally encounter when applying that paradigm. I agree, Your Honor. It would be extraordinarily messy to try to sort out um, what injunctive relief would would look like here, and it would require you know delving into um, the department's priorities, conditions at various locations. Um, there is, uh, Your Honor, I think is asking in part about um, sort of the number of posts that could potentially come within the scope of that relief. So there is a declaration from um, the association that's in the record, and it lists, I believe, eight individuals mm-hmm. um, who are, are sort of are specifically seeking to renounce their citizenship. Um, that's at JA 135 and 36. To my recollection, I believe all of those um, individuals were uh, seeking to renounce in, in France. Um, I, I could be wrong about that, but it's not a wide variety of posts that they're seeking to renounce at. And so I think there is an argument that any relief to the association on the basis of the record here would, in theory, have to be restricted to um, the posts at which its members are are seeking relief. But again, you know... The- if it turns out the members that they've listed actually are all done... Um, or in process, or them for their own reasons haven't even started the process, which just would not be, you know, they just aren't entitled to any kind of relief, then that's why I was asking about the association, because it seems to me, at least from your briefing, which first raised this issue um, uh, about the individual plaintiff's status, um, but we may end up, depending on what the letter tells us, having to decide if the association alone has standing. Yes, Your Honor. So, um, First of all, to just so that I'm clear, those eight members I, I noted are not named plaintiffs. They are oh, other individuals mm-hmm. who are members of the association. Um, as of our last update, and again, we will um, submit a formal update to the court um, as soon as we can. As of our last update, there was one of those individuals. His name is, I think, Olivier Vowery. Mm-hmm. Um, he has an appointment scheduled for November of this year. Mm-hmm. And so at least as that individual, um, there's no mootness concern as of mm-hmm. present. Um, and, and so, of course, that would mean the association has, you know, the required one member whose who's claim is right, but not moot. So I may not have been paying mm-hmm. close enough attention, but in, with respect to up, up submissions by the parties about the status, insofar as you know it, of the named plaintiffs, it seems for purposes of evaluating, if we need to separately evaluating the standing of the association, we would also want updates with respect to the status of the persons identified as members who support the standing, who are put forward as supporting the standing of the association. I think that's correct, Your Honor. and We would plan to provide that as part of our update as well. I, I should and also Mr. Schreiber will too. point out um, that the declaration from the association's president does assert that there, I think he claims more than 800 individual me- members who he believes are seeking turnouts. And so even in the event that those eight individuals had all completed the process, which, as I said, as of this point, they have not, I, there would at least be a, a question mark of what to do with that assertion. There would be a question whether that's adequate factually for us mm-hmm. to credit for purposes of association. Yes. Uh, Standing. I have a slightly different question about um, the under 1481, there are the several different 1481A, several different grounds. And you and your brief uh, uh, characterize the right that they're asserting as 
you know, under the the Supreme Court's guidance that we should carefully describe the right at issue. And the, what I take you to be describing as the right at issue is the ability to complete an assessment interview and take the oath of renunciation with a particular time frame. I'm not sure. I mean, it seems more that they're asking for um, the ability to renounce citizenship and that what they're saying impinges on that is the inability to get this uh, documentation. Let me ask you as a as a factual matter, if I were, for example, um, to uh, take an oath or affirmation of formal declaration of allegiance to a foreign state with, you know, voluntary and knowing intent to renounce my citizenship in January, but only succeed in in December in getting a certification, would the renunciation be effective as of January with the, with the certification from the government as a result of the interview and all of that confirmation? Would it recognize the action that I took in January or would it be effective only as of the time of the issuance? So the answer is different depending on which of those five um, is acted on. Um, so for A5, which is the renunciation for a diplomatic consular officer of the United States, what happens is um, there is the, the, the interview, the oath is sworn. Um, some period of time passes, the certificate of lost nationality is issued. The, um, it, it's not sort of effective, the lost nationality is um, effective at the time that the CLN is issued. However, it is backdated to the date of the renunciation oath. So um, for, for sort of plaintiff's purposes, they, they would not be able to sort of demonstrate or to say that they had lost their citizenship until that certificate is issued, but it's effective backdated to the date of the oath. So to the extent that it affects the United States is, for example, tax treatment of the individual. Yes, and the, there is actually a provision of, of the tax code, it's, I believe, cited in, in plaintiff's complaint, actually, that describes this explicitly. There's um, uh, individuals who have completed expatriation are um, subject to taxation for sort of the portion of the tax year until the date that they took the oath. They took the oath. It, yes, and, and let me clarify, if it's under A5, it's the date that they took the oath. I believe that under A1 through 4, it is actually the date that the CLN, the, excuse me, the Certificate of Loss of Nationality is issued, and that's the difference. So I, my understanding is that the State Department um, sort of recognizes the date at, at which point it has confirmed that a person has voluntarily completed an act uh, and, with, and with intent to relinquish citizenship under A1 through 4. And the, um... Ethan, they just point out an argument in their brief. Um, you seem to be most troubled by what I think they would call prioritization of non-immigrant visas over the renunciation process, um, which I, I guess then feels like maybe just favoritism of their rights. Do you have... Um, response to that? I do, Your Honor, and I think the Benning Declaration, and particularly the supplemental Benning Declaration, is very helpful on this point. So particularly at the height of the pandemic, the, the State Department gave posts clear instructions to 
prioritize um, emergency services and mission critical services to include services that were um, sort of uh, important to humanitarian needs and to the national interest. So uh, the Benning Declaration discusses the um, visas that were being issued were visas for humanitarian emergencies, um, for medical professionals, some of whom were needed to come to the United States, um, people who were involved in food production, um, an air and sea crew. I would also add a very important one relevant to the interests of American citizens is family reunification. So um, non-citizen spouses or family members of American citizens who needed to be able to travel to the United States to be reunited with their American citizen family. Um, that was also a top priority. Um, the other two I would add in, of course, are um, the evacuation from Afghanistan. There were um, special provisions for um, some individuals coming from Afghanistan to the United States. Those were congressionally directed. I mean, but is this still true uh, in 2022 when she did her supplement? Yeah, supplement so I would declaration? say is it because I'm just trying to understand what is this concern about prioritizing non-immigrant visas over renunciation, even now when there's still wait lists. So under the, the framework that has been in place since um, the fall of 2021, there is an sort of ongoing prioritization of those um, sort of most important needs. Um, and of course, the other thing is that this varies on a post-by-post -post basis. So some posts may have more capacity um, and indeed may have the staff to provide uh, uh, visa services, um, whereas others do not and would be more focused on um, providing American citizen services. Okay, is the um, volume of non-immigrant visa, I'm also trying to teach sort of ratio, <laughs> like if, yes. if there's, for every one renunciation, there's 200 non-immigrant visa applications and the processing time might actually be per capita more equivalent or not, but I just wasn't sure if, if, if or, but if there are sort of equivalent amounts, then they're concerned about one seems to get processed faster than the other. Um, would seem more on point. So I'm not aware. Um, I'm not aware of comprehensive statistics comparing the amount of of non-immigrant visas versus those seeking to relinquish citizenship. Um, I think I would also say it's not just the number of individuals, but the, the process involved in, um, in both those uh, sort of processes. Um, you know, of course, on the on the side of individuals seeking to relinquish citizenship, as we've emphasized in our brief, you know, there are very important constitutional concerns in making sure there are, you know, procedural protections that individuals are not sort of being coerced or being pressured into relinquishing citizenship if they don't really want to or intend to. And so I, I you know, I do think it's not just a one-to-one -one ratio of, of sort of how many appointments, it's the time, um, the staff capacity, the expertise involved in making sure that that procedure is done right. And when they have to appear before a consular official, is that anybody in the consulate or is that a certain level of person that might be different than the people processing visas? It is a certain status, Your Honor. I'm, I'm okay. afraid I'm not familiar with the sort of technical details, but it's it's not just any member of the consular staff. Okay. The processing visas doesn't require a particular status. I'm not um, certain of that, Your Honor. I, I could ask State Department for more information on that front. Oh, you still have any more questions? All right. Thank, Thank you, you very much. much. Mr. Schreiber, we'll give you two more minutes. Thank you, Your Honors. 
Uh, just a couple points. First, with regard to, I'm just going to follow up on Judge Miller's uh, questioning about uh, nationwide injunctions uh, and interplay with nationwide injunctions and standing. Here, uh, we the association has standing, uh, and even if it's one plaintiff uh, or one member of the association, as the my as my uh, uh, colleague here pointed out, uh, I'll point I'll, I'll direct the court to JA one forty eight. Uh, that member is still waiting, has been waiting for well over a year to receive his appointment. He has been scheduled on in November for November fifteenth, twenty twenty three. There are 800, at least 800 uh, um, additional members who either uh, have scheduled appointments or wish to schedule appointments, and um, I can try to uh, report back to the court on that issue. But just just focusing on that one member. Uh, one I think it would be fine just to report on the ones that you've already identified in the record. We don't need to create a new record. Just, just that one member, Your Honor, is sufficient for standing and uh, for nationwide injunction. Now here, the nationwide injunction is not directed at each and every consulate. It started at the State Department simply to make its renunciation procedures simpler <laughs> and more efficient. That uh, does not require a, uh, a case by case uh, for, for every individual uh, U.S. mission around the globe. Your complaint asks for them to process at a reasonable pace, quote, reasonable pace, those were your words. But now you're saying you want them to change the process to make it simpler? That's what the injunction well, would do? Part of our, in part of our analysis in the briefing here and below, was that the the, uh, the the method for processing these uh, services is simply not efficient? Um, whether whether it, whether the government whether it takes too long to uh, uh, for these interviews or whether they refuse to uh, conduct online uh, renunciation uh, interviews as it does perhaps with other services that it provides, and the very fact that it again the record indicates that the government favors and prefers pleasure visas over renunciation services. There's no question about it. And that, Your Honor, cannot stand. Uh, if somebody wants to visit the United States for pleasure, that, that, that he, he, he or she may try, but that should not refer, that should not receive preference over a U.S. citizen wishing to renounce his U.S. citizenship, which, and I don't have to go over this, it's in the briefs, is has a historical value and it, it, it's it, and its importance is is unquestioned. My colleagues, have any questions? No. Thank you uh, both very much. The case is submitted.